Hey, I'm so glad that you're uh, joining us online again this week. Uh, I'm Dan, one of the pastors here. And uh, if you don't have a church home, we'd love to see you here. Come join us, 8 o'clock, 9.30, 11 o'clock, 5.30. Love to have you at one of our services. Love to meet you. Uh, we're in the book of Ephesians. Get your Bibles open there. Ephesians chapter 1. We began this journey last week. And if you were on last week, I challenged you to begin reading it. Uh, chapter a day, six days. And then let's do that throughout the series. Did you do it? If you didn't, maybe it's your first time hanging out with us, uh, I'd encourage you to do that. Chapter 1 on Monday, 2 on uh, Tuesday, 3 on Wednesday, 4 on Thursday. And we're just going to do that for the next couple months, to be honest with you. Because Ephesians is this tour in the Grand Canyon of God's immeasurable grace and His love for us. It's this tour in God's unbelievable vision and purpose for His church. And we said this last week, get us caught up today. It was written by a real guy, has a real story, and he really encountered the really radical grace of God, and he wrote it to a group of people, a church, uh, the church at Ephesus, and they really had a story, and they really, really encountered the revolutionary grace of God. And so we said that it's important for us to start there to understand kind of the big picture of the book because he talks about the blessings for those in Christ, going to be there today, which leads to the behavior of those in Christ which leads to the battle against those in Christ. So today we're in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been with somebody that tried to describe something really amazing, really awesome, and they just erupted, right? They, they just talked and they couldn't tell you enough and they're so excited. And it's almost like, catch a breath, man. Uh, they're so excited about giving you all the descriptions of the things that they've seen and the things they've experienced. That's what happens in the passage we're looking at today. Paul erupts with this long run-on sentence. 3 through 14 is one sentence in the Greek. And it's this outburst of excitement, amazement, gratitude, pure, unadulterated joy. It's almost like Paul can't contain himself. And this is what he says to start with. He says, praise. That's what a lot of your versions have. Uh, the word can be translated, blessed be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. The reason I have these yellowed is same word used for those, right? And what's interesting is this. It's just interesting to me that the Greek word for those is the word we get eulogy from. Eulogeo, it's where we get the idea of eulogizing someone, to speak well, to, to give a good word to. I did a, a, a funeral this week, and at the funeral, people stand and read eulogies. Uh, they speak of the impact of the person who died and the uh, good traits in their life. They speak of the things that uh, they admire about them. I, I always think this when I do a funeral. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral. Thought I wonder if the person who died knew that the people speaking about them when they're dead felt that way about them when they were living. I wonder that. Like, like, I am all for living eulogies. Here's the deal. Paul wants us to know God's living eulogy for those who are in Christ. He has a good word for us. And it leads to a good word from us to him. Blessed be God the Father. Uh, Paul's outburst is so rich today that we're going to look at that you may feel like you're drinking out of a literal fire hydrant. Today, for the next few minutes, I'm going to try to put the ocean in a thimble. That's what I'd say, right? Like th this, this part is so full. 
And so I'm going to do my best to condense and clarify some things. I hope you'll hang with me. We're going to leave some dirt unturned, and I hope you're okay with that. We're just going to answer these questions. He says, blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let's answer these questions just to give us a rail. Uh, we're going to answer the question, who are these blessings for? What are some of these blessings? Uh, how do we get these blessings? Like, how, how have they come to us? And how do we know that we really have experienced them and embraced them? Uh, let's start with who are these for? I'd love for you to write this down. These blessings are for those who are in Christ. Eight times in this run-on sentence, Paul uses the terminology in Christ. Look, look what he says. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He uses it over and over again. Verse 4, he says, For he chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world. Verse 7, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Uh, verse 9, uh, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Verse 11, in Christ we were chosen. Verse 13, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Uh, down to verse 13, when you believed you were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The blessings are for those who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing for those who are in Christ. That's salvation language. You are either in Christ or you're not. Uh, uh, Tim Keller was reading something he wrote, and he said, this passage, Paul gives us one of the most, single most panoramic pictures of our great salvation. Today, you're, you're watching this, and I don't know everybody that's watching this. You're either in Christ or you're not. And in Christ, when you are in Christ, when you say yes to Jesus, trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you are in Christ. You are united with Christ. Uh, that happens in several different ways. You are positionally in Christ. I love, he says, he blesses us in the heavenly realms with spiritual blessings. Like, that talks about this position we have, that positionally we are in Christ. Warren Wearsby wrote a commentary and he says this, the Christian really operates in two spheres, the human sphere and the divine sphere, the visible and invisible. Physically, we're here on this earth in this human body. But spiritually, when I am in Christ, I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly sphere. It's the heavenly sphere that provides the power and the direction for the earthly walk. So important you know that, because that's what chapters 4 and beyond are about. The president, he says, of the United States is not always seated at his desk in the White House, but that executive chair represents the sphere of his life and his power and his authority. No matter where he is, he's the president, because only he has the privilege of sitting at that desk in that chair. Likewise with the Christian, no matter where he or she may be on the earth, they are seated in the heavenlies with Christ, and this is the basis of their life and their power. We're in Christ. Positionally, the Father sees us in Christ. So all the blessings in Christ that are in Christ are ours. That's the power to live here. It, it, positionally, we're in Christ. Write this down if you're taking notes. Legally, we're in Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, this weekend... Uh, I had a funeral this week, a, a wedding this weekend. Did a wedding. Two people uniting their lives together. 
When, when two people get married, they make covenant promises to each other. When two people unite in marriage, it might be, not always, but it might be maybe a rich man and a poor gal. And maybe this guy is wealthy because he's worked hard to accomplish and set aside and accumulate and really, and maybe she's poor because she grew up in a rough situation. But when they unite, they become, two become what? One. And the minute they are united, his wealth becomes their wealth. That's what's going on here. When I say yes to Jesus, I'm in Christ. I am united with Christ legally. And everything he has comes to me. Uh, Romans 6 says that we are united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. Just think about that. In his death and his resurrection. That means this, that I am as free from condemnation of my sin as though I'm the one who died for it. Like I'm united with him. I am attached to him. That I have all the riches that come as a result of the resurrection of Jesus because I'm united with him in the resurrection. I'm united with him and I have all that he's achieved and all that he receives. It's why Paul could say in Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. So I'm legally united. I'm, I'm positionally, right? I'm seated. And that gives me the power legally that, that I'm united. I'm in Christ. And, and then I'd write this down, vitally. When, when you are united with Christ, the very spirit of God resides in you. Look at, look at 2 Peter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate. That's interesting to me. It's almost like the spiritual DNA of God himself alive in us through the Holy Spirit of God. You know what that means? It means I have everything that I need to become more and more like Jesus. I have all the spiritual genetics that I need. The Spirit of God inside of me. Uh, that's both challenging and convicting, right? Everything's in there. It also is comforting because no wound that I have, there's not a wound that I have or incur that I can't heal from. Not a habit I can't overcome. Not a guilt I can't be forgiven of. I am either in Christ or I am not. Sometimes I'll ask people if they're a Christian and they'll say, I hope so or I'm trying or I think so. And I think what Paul wants us to know is, is you're either in Christ or you're not. Uh, so what are these blessings? Uh, well, we don't have time to exhaust it all, but I think there's three to point out. Can we kind of be quick with them? Uh, in love, so the, for, for those in Christ, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. That was his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Uh, here's how I'd write it down. In Christ, we are adopted into God's family. That's really good news. I am a son in the family of God. Eight different times in this book, Paul makes allusion to the fact that God is our father. The people he's writing to, the picture of adoption would have been very familiar to them, very understandable. In Roman culture, a dad would have been had his baby brought to him. He would decide whether he wanted to keep the child or not. If he rejected this, the child... The child would be either sold into the slave market or thrown on the garbage heap. The only way to redeem the rejected from the garbage heap or the life of slavery was for someone to adopt them. 
So this was a picture not just for babies, but adults who spent their lives rejected as slaves. They could be redeemed and adopted with the full rights, the full privileges, and the full status of sons. A legal transaction had to be paid. All the previous obligations had to be canceled. And they were given the rights. Imagine that. Given the rights and privileges of being sons and daughters. What a picture that Christ adopts us into his family, canceling our previous obligations because of our sin and giving us the rights, the status and privilege of sonship. We are adopted into his family. You know what that means? Several things. No slides for this. Just We have a new identity. When we are adopted, we get a new name. That is important. You know why? Because when I know who I am, I know what to do. My identity is what determines my behavior. For a lot of us, for a lot of us, our identity is formed by what other people think about us. And, and, or maybe what they say about us, and particularly what they said about us early and often in our life. So some of us are like, I'm a failure. I'm lazy. I'm a nerd. I'm ugly. I'm cool. I'm not cool. I'm bad. I'm dumb. Discipleship to Jesus and a culture of discipleship begins with knowing and living into my spiritual identification in Christ. I am adopted into his family. Embracing my spiritual identification is what leads to transformed behavior. And the goal is to wake up every day hearing what God says about us because what he says about us matters most. And he says, when we say yes to Jesus, when we're in Christ, you have a seat at my family table. I am your father, you are my child. We have a new identity. We have a new intimacy. You ever think about that? I am the object of the father's affection. Do you see that in the passage? He lavishes the riches of his grace. He freely gives us what we don't deserve, can't earn. When my kids were growing up, they didn't work for a wage in my house. I mean, we might we had chores and all that, sure. But I freely shared with them all that I had. They, they had free reign in the house. They, they ate meals when they were so young, they, they, they couldn't contribute anything. It was my pleasure to do that. That's what he's saying. It's God's pleasure to lavish on us. I think God gets giddy over us. He treasures us, not out of obligation, but because he loves adopting and redeeming and making messes beautiful. 1 John 3, how great is his love for us that we should be called his children. Romans 8, absolutely nothing can separate me from my father's love. There's this passage in Zephaniah that says, He, our Father, delights in us and sings over us. I am the object of his affection. I have constant access to my Father. I'm adopted into his family. I'm always fascinated with this. You know, you ever, you ever see the president and uh, he's covered with secret service. Somebody makes a wrong move or tries to approach him or uh, get a hand on him that wasn't pre-planned, pre-scheduled. Man, that guy's going down, Right? Unless it's a president who's in office who has children. And those children can do what no one else can do. Those children can run into their daddy's arm. He's the president, and he'll hug them. Those children can show up unannounced. They don't need a schedule. Why? They're his child. 
No appointment necessary. There is a boldness and a freedom that my children enjoy with me as their father that might seem a little presumptuous, even rude for others. They're my kids. They have constant access. I'm their father. That's what it means. We're the objects of his affection. We, we have constant access to God. Isn't that awesome? And, and, and you know what else? I mean, I could go on and on. I can always trust my father's advice. Legitimately, I am adopted into a family where father always knows best. I have this new intimacy. I, I have this, this new identification, this new identity. And I have a new inheritance. He there says that, that we have this inheritance. Romans 8 says it this way. If we are children, which we are, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We're going to learn this next week, but, but literally there's, there's language in Ephesians that talks that we are his inheritance, but that we are heirs with Christ. That, that the reason they would have adopted somebody in their family to have an heir. That's mind-blowing to me. We go from the garbage heap. We go from being rejected from the slave market, which is the next picture. We're adopted into God's family, but then he says, in him we have, I would circle that word redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, that word literally means to be uh, set free, purchased out of captivity, ransomed. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us, I would write it this way, in Christ, we've been freed and forgiven of our sin. Redemption, forgiveness. We've been bought with a price. And it is the price paid by Jesus that sets us free. Now, free from what? Free from the penalty of sin. We're forgiven and free. I literally am a slave because I'm a sinner. I'm a prisoner to the penalty of my sin to the pain of my sin, to the guilt of my sin. I'm locked up in my sin. I'm, I'm, I'm unable to do anything about it. I can't pay my bail. I, I gotta serve my time. Jesus walked onto the prison yard of my life and paid the full price for my freedom, for my ransom. He walked on to the prison yard of your life and he paid the price that you owed. Jesus paid the price I owe for the penalty of my sin. I am forgiven. Psalm 103 says it this way, He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Psalm 103, verse 12. It means this, the blessing is, I'm adopted into his family for sure, but I can quit living, trying to gain forgiveness, and I can start living from the forgiveness I have in Christ. I don't need to carry my guilt and my shame anymore, neither do you. That's a blessing. I'm forgiven, I'm freed from the penalty of my sin by the power of the blood of Jesus. Today, I believe this, some of you are watching this and he's walking onto the prison yard of your life and he's looking to free you. He paid the price at the cross. How in the world do I know I'm really free from the penalty of my sin? How do I know I'm really forgiven? I think we're gonna find out in Ephesians when I, in turn, then forgive others. I'm free from the penalty of my sin. I think there's something else here. I'm free from the futility of an empty life. Uh, I, I was fascinated. First Peter 1, no slides for it. You can just look at this on your own. Verse 18, you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you've been redeemed, there's our word, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But it was the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 
What's he saying here? That we're slaves to whatever we're living for. We're all living for different things. Some of us are living for to make a name for ourselves. Some of us are living for a career. Some of us are living to make more money. Some of us are living for popularity. Some of us are living for our kids. And whatever it is we're living for, we are enslaved to. Jesus redeems me and frees me from the penalty of my sin, but also the futility of an empty life and a wasted life. And now free, I can live on purpose. As an adopted son, free to live from who I am instead of for an identification. When I live for those things, what happens when I live for money and I go bankrupt? What happens if I live for my kids and I'm, I'm going to be super mom and they don't turn out? Right? I'm a slave to whatever I'm living for. But if I'm free, then life is worship. And I don't see myself as free. Life is work for validation and for purpose. He says that, in Christ, we've been freed. We're forgiven. Uh, let's do this really quick. One more thing. Can we just, one more thing? With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Uh, we won't flesh this out because we'll get to it later in a later chapter. But in Christ, we can anticipate, this is a blessing, God will accomplish his plan. He is working his purposes and he will keep his promises. I think the point here is when things seem to be falling apart all around me, and they certainly do, I can count on the fact that God is working his plan and keeping his promises and his promises, he's going to bring all things together under Christ, redeemed and unified. In a nutshell, I would say it this way. What are the blessings for those in Christ? What are the blessings for those in Christ? Forgiveness. I'm free from the penalty of my sin. I'm free from the futility of an empty life. Not only that, but it's family. I'm adopted into the family of God. I sit at the table. God is my father. I have this identi identity that's new, this intimacy that's new, this inheritance with Christ. And I have a forever hope that right now I'm part of God, this plan God is working out and he's going to bring it to fruition and he will keep his promises. And so even if it looks like things are falling apart, even if it looks like things are falling apart in my own life, I can have this confidence that God is at work, just as Romans 8 says. Forgiveness, family, forever hope, the blessings we have in Christ. So how do we get those blessings? How do they happen? This is, where, this is the part of the program we're going to go in the deep end a little bit. Can we do that? We'll pop back up. Stay with me. Don't, don't fast forward. Stay with me. Praise be to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have already talked about that. For he, uh-oh, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship. What we see is that God has a plan and the plan is that we'll be blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ and the Trinity, the Godhead, they are all involved critically. The Father, we see in that passage, initiates the plan. How do he do that? By choosing us. He is the one who blesses and chooses us before the creation of the world. Now listen, I don't know if you think about it. God's been thinking about you for an awful long time. You didn't just come on God's radar. 
Some of you are watching this, considering this for the first time, and, and, and I want you to know God has been thinking about you for a long time. I'm so grateful that God is a sovereign God and that in his sovereignty, he'll choose. That he chose. You and I of all people. I, I know some of you are watching this and some of you are like, I've been waiting for you to get to this. Some of you are eager to say, I, I've been waiting for you to get to this. I'm going to see if you agree with me on this. <laughs> Quite possibly I won't. I don't know. Some of you are like, I just don't get it, man. What's up with that? God chooses. I thought we chose. What, which is it? Join the club. You don't get it. Like This is mind-blowing, right? Some of you are asking the question, did I choose God or did God choose me? Yep. Yep. Hey, wait a minute, Dan. I asked a question there. I'm like, yep. I, I think this is a beautiful and a complex teaching. The God of creation, before he went to work on creation, had you, had me on his mind. In the technical terms, some of you may have heard of this, the doctrine of election. It's like, well, I'm not going to spend the next 20 minutes outlining that. I, I love what Chuck Swindoll shared one time. I wrote it down. It's been years ago. If you try to explain election, you'll lose your mind. But if you try to explain it away, you'll lose your soul. He had one student in his class raise his hand and say, not if I'm elect. Uh, this was not just Paul being Paul. Jesus talked about this whole idea. He said, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit. I guess it's interesting. So this isn't just Paul being Paul. I, I love uh, this, that uh, Spurgeon was a pastor. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a pastor. He commented on this whole idea of God choosing and us choosing and God's election, human responsibility. Is it me choosing God or is it God choosing me? And he described them as a pair of railroad tracks. They run parallel to each other and never meet. But if you look far enough into the distance, they appear to come together. These doctrines are confusing, he said, and often appear to be contrary in this life. But in eternity, they make perfect sense. And, and, and I love that. I draw this picture for people, and it works for me, that the Bible talks about whosoever will, that you have a choice. That this side of heaven, whosoever will, come. But the Bible is very clear that we've been chosen by God. Well, how do those come together? Who's choosing who? And, and, and I believe that somewhere that mountain, just imagine a mountain, and at the very peak where those things come together is the mystery of God. Uh, the way Deuteronomy 29, you ought to write that down somewhere, says it. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. It's like somewhere up there. Like if I can explain all there is to explain about God, who's God? Me. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm explaining to you God. But the things revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. John, one of John Calvin's favorite words. One guy put it this way. As we enter the gates of heaven, you know, he's just trying to give a picture. I'm not saying it's going to look that way. Uh, he says, as we enter the gates of heaven, the sign's going to say, whosoever will may come. Once we enter the gates of heaven and turn around and look back, the gates are going to say, chosen from before the foundation of the world. Don't miss the beauty of this and the complexity of it. God has been thinking about you and I before he created the sun. And there's something beautiful about that. And even if you don't get it all, to trust it by faith. Like, like if you're a parent, did, did you ever tell your kids not to do something? Like, don't play with the hairdryer in the bathtub. Why? You know, they're just like, they're two. Well, electricity and water, right? 
do you ever have to explain something like, I, you're not going to understand it all, just trust me. Like at age 45 or whatever age you are, I've lived longer than you at two. Just trust me that, that, that I know more than you do, that I've lived longer. I mean, sometimes you tell your kids that, right? Well, if we tell our kids that and the, the gap is between 45 and two, what's the gap like between God and the mind of God and the mystery of the mind and the workings of God and me? I think it's a beautiful thing to think that God's had his eye on us. He's had his eye on you for a long time. He invites you to come and to partake of the spiritual blessings in Christ by saying yes to Jesus. The Father initiates it. The Son implements the plan by dying for us. The spiritual blessings that we have in Christ are because Christ, Christ became our substitute. The only way you and I can be redeemed and forgiven is by the blood of Jesus. Do you see that in the text? You have your Bible still open, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his what? What? His blood. The forgiveness of sins. There's an old song that they used to sing, maybe some of you grew up in church. What can wash away my sin? Right? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The only way you and I can be adopted as sons is because the Son of God died in my place. The only, uh, the one who called God Father on the cross, the one who called God Father on the cross, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did that happen? So that you, could, you and I could cry, my God, my God. Why? Have you adopted me? His son, Jesus, took my place so that I could become a son or a daughter. The only way you and I can believe that in our darkest days, God is working a plan and keeping his promises is because Jesus, on that Friday he hung at the cross, it looked dark. On Fridays he hung on that cross, it looked dark, but Sunday the plan came to fruition and was realized. The promise was kept. You see, the Father initiated the plan. He chose. The Son implements the plan. He came, died in our place, buried, rose again. And the Holy Spirit secures and empowers the plan by sealing us. You see what it says in your Bible is verse 13. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. He's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. He has sealed us permanently, eternally secure, the transaction complete. The idea of a seal is the king would press his ring into the wax, signifying his authority to make the transaction. The deal was done. The transaction was complete. The divine Godhead now involved in your life ensures the blessings of God in Christ. Can we just stop and say, wow? Can we just stop and say, wow? That's amazing. The blessings are for those in Christ, are you? The, the blessings are I'm adopted in the family. God's my father. I'm freed and forgiven from my sin. I can anticipate that God is working his plan according to his purpose and he's going to keep all his promises. 
I can know that th these blessings are because God's had his eye on you before he made the sun. God had his eyes on you long before you ever thought of him. And the son died in your place. And the minute you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides in, becomes a seal. Transaction done, complete. No wonder Paul erupts with a run on sentence in verses 3 through 14. So how do you know that you really got a hold of this, experienced the blessings, these spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms in Christ? Well, I heard a pastor say it somewhat close to this way. I doctored it up a little bit. Grace... You, you know you've experienced the spiritual blessings in Christ when grace becomes beautiful to you and you make grace beautiful to the world. When grace is no longer just a lyric in your favorite song, when grace is no longer just the name of a church you might attend or tune into, when grace is no longer a lyric with a cute little saying, when grace is no longer just a stagnant academic term to be talked about, when all of a sudden grace explodes and you begin to experience the transformation of grace in your life from the inside out that's how you know you know what happens our lives become this eruption our lives become this long run-on sentence for the world to see that we are people who are amazed by grace surprised by grace ambassadors of grace who can't believe that his grace would even cover us and we would agree with paul by the grace of God, I am what I am. I thank you, Lord, for your grace, the riches of Christ, for those who are in Christ. I thank you for the fact we can call you Father. I thank you that we are freed and forgiven. I thank you that we can be confident that you're working your plan to your purposes and you're going to keep your promises. I thank you that long before the creation of the world, you had your eye on us, that Jesus loved us so much he came and died in our place. And the minute we say yes to Jesus, that your spirit seals us, identifies us as yours, transaction complete. God, I pray that you would help us to live from the position of being in Christ, that our position in the heavenlies would give us a power and a confidence to walk in the earthlies, that you'd help us to live from the understanding that legally we are in Christ. What is rightfully his, he allows to be ours when we place our faith and trust in Christ. To live vitally in Christ, realizing that everything's inside of us for the character of Christ to be formed in us, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And God, I pray that as we embrace this experience that our lives would erupt with this amazing grace. And it would be beautiful to us. Not just a cool concept, but a transforming radical reality in our life. And that people that run into us would get splashed with the radical, transforming, revolutionary grace of God found in the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms for those who are in Christ Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.